Hi everyone, uh, welcome to our first ever Alia Graphic Creator Chat. I'm Jurgi uh, and I'm the Alia Graphic Novels and Comics uh, convener. Um, this is a newly formed group within um, Alia and uh, um, basically coronavirus has changed our lives and our world, uh, at least temporarily. And we're all stuck at home. And we thought this was a really good opportunity to uh, join the American Graphic Novels and Comics Roundtable. Uh, and, uh, you know, just uh, invite a few different creators, have a chat with them, and put some video content out there. We, we're also uh, looking into uh, talking to a few li librarians um, who are graphic novel champions and uh, there are libraries and so it's just going to be a series of videos where we just have a conversation with different people about graphic novels comics libraries and the things that interest us and today we're really excited um, that for this first video we have uh, christian carnage with us uh, and uh, he made a graphic novel that I really, really love uh, called uh, Resurrected. Uh, and he was a writer for it. And it was an independent uh, graphic novel that I really, really enjoyed. And I really championed online when it came out. And so I'm really excited to uh, have a chat with him. So welcome, Christian. Hi, thanks so much for having me. And yeah, I really appreciate um, how much support uh, you've given the resurrected over the last sort of six months or so. Yeah, as an indie sort of publisher, you really, you know, you need a, sort of all the help you can get, and you don't forget sort of who's been uh, helping you along. Yeah, um, look, uh, uh, I think um, it, it was uh, it was a graphic novel that uh, I think I found it on Twitter just by chance. And um, and um, when I read about it, I thought this sounds like a really really cool story, and it really resonated with me. Um, and um, yeah, so I I I'm, I'm very happy to be talking with you. And we'll go back to the resurrected, um, you know, a bit later. But I think yeah. let, let's start a little bit with with you. So you're you're Australian. But you've been living in the Netherlands for quite a few years now, as I understand. Um, yeah. So, you know, tell us a bit about yourself, what you do, where you live. Uh, so, as you can probably tell from my accent, I'm, I'm Australian. I'm from Sydney. Uh, grew up there. I About ten and a half years ago, I moved uh, to The Hague in the Netherlands uh, to work for the United Nations. Uh, so, I'm basically just a public servant. Uh, I only planned to come here for about a year and then sort of I had a job in, uh, I had a job in Sydney uh, with the federal government and, well not federal government, but federal public service. Uh, and then I met my wife after a few months who's from Tunisia and then, uh, you know, I'm not stupid so I, I wasn't going to leave someone that I was so lucky to have so I've sort of been, been over here still and I'm um, yeah, not sure sort of what the future will bring or how long I'll be here for or when I'm, when I'm going to go back to Sydney, but I really miss home. Yeah. I miss Sydney. It is nice living in Europe, but Australia is pretty amazing. So, but, um, yeah, and now with uh, coronavirus, I have no idea when sort of 
any of us will be moving around or traveling or yeah but um that's my background basically yeah i i can relate to that as well because well um it's the other way around with me you know i come from europe uh so i'm from the basque country in the north of spain south of france oh. and uh and uh you know i was working in london uh for a few months and uh, i met an australian and one thing led to another and i ended up uh in the other side of the world away from all my family and friends and mm. yeah i i've never regretted the decision i made i'm very happy here uh but um yeah the distance um it, it's it's a long distance and sometimes it, it gets hard definitely i get homesick yeah, it's hard. How how often do you come back here or to Europe? I we try to go every two years, and we have done that for um, we've done that quite consistently every couple of years or so. Um, but uh, it's now coming up to uh, about three years. So we we were planning actually to go this year, but the way things are at the moment. Yeah, it's exactly. all up in the air. So it's all completely up in the air. I think we're going to have to postpone it to next year. Yeah, yeah, I think so. We were lucky. We just we were in Sydney like two and a half months ago, three months ago. So we do a trip every year for, around Christmas. Yeah. So I'm glad that I sort of got that trip in before everything uh, went to hell. So before the end of the world. Before the end of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, all right, so um, because uh, basically we're a group uh, from the library uh, association, you know, I, I wanted to ask, uh, you know, what's your relationship with your with libraries? So, you know, uh, do you often go to the library? Um, did you, as a kid? Um, I, it's funny. I I love libraries. Uh, I don't go often now that. I guess I do all my study, studying and writing sort of on a laptop and in a cafe and yeah. I'm, um, I'm very sort of extroverted. Like I love people being around. So I like going to a cafe where there's people and I sort of work. I also have ADHD so I can sort of look around a little bit and focus on other things and I get back to my writing. So libraries these days are maybe a bit too peaceful for me, but I, I did grow up going to to libraries a lot. I don't know if you've ever been to the State Library in Sydney, but it's no. uh, it's wonderful. Um, my wife and I actually went there last time we were in Sydney just to walk around. And there's the I think it's the Mitchell Library. Uh, it's just it's absolutely beautiful. But um, during high school and university, I used to go to the library like quite regularly. Not really to study, just to check out girls. But um, did a little bit of study on the way. But uh, yeah, I love libraries, and I think what you guys are doing is um, really important as well. Championing sort of graphic novels. A lot of people think that they're not very intellectual, or you know, they're not sort of very deep, or you can't learn much from them. graphic novels, and they're for children. But I think the sort of work that I know that you're doing, and some of your colleagues that I sort of see on Twitter, are changing that perception. And uh, yeah, it's great. I think we need to get more graphic novels into libraries. Um, one of my best mates is actually a, in Sydney. He's a li librarian. And he's always talking about graphic novels and how they put on 
talks and um, do their best to yeah. to sort of uh, champion it. So I think things things are changing. Yeah, uh, I think uh, I think in library world there has definitely been a, a change, you know. Um, and I, I, for me, it's really interesting coming where I come from, you know, in um, in in Spain. Uh, I think graphic novels are a lot more respected than they have been for a long time. And um, my my parents lived in France for a lot of years, and obviously in France, uh, bande dessinée are huge, absolutely huge, and they're very highly respected. Um, so my parents living in France, um, they really they really uh, liked graphic novels. They really bought a lot of them. We had lots of them at home. Uh, and so I, I grew up with a love and appreciation of, of graphic novels uh, as an art. So for me, it was really interesting um, that in the English-speaking world, there was, um, from, you know, some, from certain people, there was such a stigma. Cause, uh, that, that was mm-hmm. very alien to me. So um, yeah. I'm quite happy to be doing a little bit to to kind of uh, fight those um, you know myths and um, perceptions and misunderstandings and you know mm. um, yeah because I think I, I really think that graphic novels have a lot to offer um, and um, I, uh, I I talk about graphic novels a lot about um, you know. Uh, multiple literacies so you know they work at many different levels you know on the visual mm-hmm. aspect and the uh, and uh, the written and everything all together yeah it's a very complex uh, text but it this is not about me so <laughs> no no it's fine it's just a chat so uh, you know I'm interested in your uh, views yeah. as well so. yeah so um, anyway uh, did you read comics as a kid or is this something you've done your whole life, or or did you come to comics at a later mm. time, or what's your story it's, with that? It's a bit up and down. I mean, um, uh, comics weren't huge, or well, like American kind of typical comics weren't huge when I was growing up in my area, um, in Sydney. But we were all into like in primary school, or into Tantan and Asterix and Obelix, absolutely like absolutely obsessed with them. And uh, even like Richie Rich and sort of, but I, I, I was never into superheroes like at all. And sort of, you know, I'm 45 now, so image and stuff weren't around when I was a teenager, but um, or young teens. Uh, but then in about 2012, I got into Star Wars comics, like the expanded universe. Like I'm really into Star Wars, as you can see behind me. Yep. There's a cabinet of um, vintage figures. I'm a really cool dude, comics and, and Star Wars. So, um, and, uh, so I was really into Star Wars, so I started reading the comics, and then I started reading New, New 52, the DC sort of reboot. And then from there, I just started getting into Marvel and Image and everything. So it's been like eight years now, and I started collecting comics, so I go to a lot of conventions, and um, even before I started writing, and getting comics signed and uh, getting sketches and, uh, yeah, I have just behind me, I have like all these long boxes uh, full of comics. So, yeah, I'm, I've 
I'm pretty sort of addicted personality, so when I'm into something, I'm really into it and throw myself into it. But it's been like eight years now, and usually I get bored after a couple of years. So I think mm-hmm. comics is here to stay with me. It's just such a huge universe, and you just can't you can't get bored. I mean, you you might yeah. get sick of Marvel and you switch to DC and get sick of that, or you get to, you get sick of Batman, you switch to a different character, different different types of stories within comics. Yeah. So um, yeah, I'm not. I mean, I see kind of a lot of other creative friends and they talk about how they've been writing for even when they were a kid, they were writing comics and they always dreamt of working in comics and, and they grew up obsessing with Superman or Batman, but no, I wasn't, I wasn't really like that. I've always been more of a novel. I read a lot of novels and, um, you know, like I've written my own novel. It's not published yet, but yeah, so I wasn't one of those typical comic book creators, I guess, with the long background. Yeah. 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 Um, yes. Uh, for me, it's it's something that I guess I was always surrounded with, and and uh, and I've read a bit of everything. I've always been interested in you know all sorts of. I love the medium, and I love all sorts of different genres, and I love a lot of European comics as well, which um, unfortunately a lot of them are not even translated to English. So I have to, thankfully, I can read in Spanish. Um, uh, and as my parents say, you should learn French. So maybe I should learn. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, no, I've never really learned French. I'm the only one in my family that doesn't speak French. But I'm the okay. only one who speaks English. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm actually half French. My dad's French. So I don't know if I told you that before. But um, I've read a few graphic novels in French, but only only a few. But they're very different to American, but they're wonderful. Yes, so. I, I I love I love uh, French comics, and um, um, oh, yeah, uh, you mentioned uh, where uh, as a kid that you were obsessed with Tintin and Asterix and Obelix. Uh, uh, um, for me, um, one interesting thing is that. Um, most of my friends seem to be very obsessed with Tintin and I, I enjoyed them, but I was mm-hmm. never really into them. Um, and that's probably, you know, quite blasphemous of me to say <laughs> for a lot of people. Uh, whereas Asterix and Obelix, I read them a million times and read them again yeah. and again and again and again, you know. And then Lucky Luke, which was written also by Gossini and uh, so many others. Eh, my, my favorite uh, graphic novel, actually, series is, is actually a French series uh, called okay. um, Blueberry. Oh, okay, yeah, I know. I know that, yeah. yeah. Which is a Western, so it, it's, it's kind of funny. It's a French Western, but um, it's awesome. It's, for me, it's the best series ever put. Mm, I haven't read it, but yeah, it's pretty famous, right? I think. Uh, uh, I highly recommend it. I can't recommend okay. it now. Check it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so it, it's cool that you mentioned also you're, um, that you're a big collector uh, and, uh, and um, also a big fan of Star Wars. So, uh, do, do you collect a lot of Star Wars stuff or...? I I used to collect a lot. I still have like so my cabinet behind. That's basically just all um, vintage. So when we say vintage, 
it doesn't just mean old. It means for Star Wars from like 1977 until like the late 80s or around then, sometimes early 90s, depending on the country. But I collect only Luke Skywalker and only within that time period. So I have sort of package stuff, uh, bootleg stuff. I've got some from Spain, actually, um, French stuff. And it's so they're all different. They're all different Luke outfits. You know, they have Bespin outfit, the Hoth outfit. And then I have all the different variations of that. It's very nerdy. And looking back, I'm pretty surprised that I put so much effort into it. There's like, you know, I've got 30 loose Bespin Lukes and they all look exactly the same. And friends come over and they're like, they're the same figure. I'm like, no, they're variations. So they're all like a tiny variation or something. That's, um, yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty addictive with my collecting. I always have been like into whatever, comics or even books and computer games, whatever. Um, but, yeah, I've always loved Star Wars. But I, I don't really collect them anymore, but I still like I'm on a, um, I'm a moderator on a, on a forum called Tantive, Tantive XL. And uh, so we still chat a lot. And some of those guys that are mods on that, they're some of my best friends and we sort of meet up at conventions and we we chat a lot. And, uh, yeah, and I go to, like, Star Wars conventions. Even though I'm not really collecting as much anymore, I still, like, the social circle still really important to me. And I had a blog where I used to interview. I haven't done it for about a year, but I, where I interviewed sort of Star Wars collectors and... I've still got that blog, vintagestarwarscollectors.com, but I, I haven't updated it for about a year now. It's just so hard to keep up with, uh, you know, when you're writing and doing all your own thing. And But, um, yeah, Star Wars was a hugely important part of my life. It was the first movie that I ever remember seeing um, in Sydney. They re-released the first Star Wars in 1979, and I was f- five. I'd just gotten back from France. I think I could barely sort of speak English and I remember going to the movies and I think I fell asleep halfway through it, but I still remember a few moments from it and, uh, yeah, it stuck with me forever. See, yeah. um, see with me, it's, uh, it's actually a similar thing. You know, one, of the, one of the earliest movies that I remember, because uh, it's hard to say which one is the earliest, but one of the earliest movies that I remember watching at the cinema was uh, The Empire Strikes Back. And yeah. and for me, it was such, uh, you know, I it was so eye-opening. It was, uh, yeah, yeah, and I've been a fan forever, you know, ever since. So I, I watched The Empire Strikes Back first, and then I watched A New Hope, and then Return of the Jedi. So uh. not, not the way I recommend anyone to watch it, but <laughs> that's the way I did it uh, when I was that's a little kid. And yeah, it's um, it's always it's still my favorite movie, The Empire Strikes Back, of the whole saga. Mm. Which one's yeah, most, yours? Yeah. Uh, it's it's a New Hope, but probably only because it was the first movie I ever saw. And but Empire Strikes Back is probably the best movie with the action and the twists and everything. Um, but A New Hope really resonated with me. Um, and also, funny enough, my wife is from Tunisia, which is, you know, where A New Hope was filmed. And we went, I probably, uh, was it about seven years ago, we went down to the Lars homestead. So, you know, the little igloo 
yeah. Luke's home. Basically, we went down. It was, it's in the Sahara. It's right down south, south Tunisia, like six-hour drive from Tunis, the capital. And we went down and we saw that. Um, uh, uh, we saw the set, and it was it was one of the most amazing days of my life. And my wife's parents took us down there, and they had no idea. Like they've never watched Star Wars, they didn't care, they didn't even know what this homestead was, and they were just sort of sitting on the homestead. You know, I'm like, my God, no, this is like so important. But um, they just didn't understand why I was almost sort of pissing myself when I mm. saw this uh, igloo. But yeah, it was just just amazing. And there've been some Star Wars collectors that have actually been um, re- renovating the igloo at uh it uh it fell into quite bad disrepair for a few years and they went down and they painted it and they fixed it up and yeah that's some cool belgium and uh british collectors and and some others so that's pretty cool so um yeah. coming back to comics a little bit but staying with star wars um <laughs> since uh, since marvel relaunched uh, um you know their the whole collection um mm-hmm. have you been keeping up with it uh, Star Wars comics from Marvel? I, I, I did at the start. Like I read sort of the first uh, 20 and I read a few sort of spin-offs and they're pretty good actually. Um, and I, I was collecting, so I don't know if you've ever seen the Marvel variant covers. So they do like a variant cover, but it's the old vintage figure. Yep. Um, so I, was collect, I collected like the first 25 of those and I actually met the artist who was doing that and he's amazing, really cool guy and he sort of got them all signed. But uh, I, I gave up after a while. I'm, I'm a bit like that. Once and one series go on sometimes, not too long, but if they go on past like 30, 40, 50, I can sometimes yeah. get a bit, um, I just I, I want something new and I read a lot of comics, like a lot of different comics. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm a little bit like that too. Um, you know, I don't like series that keep going and forever and forever and forever. And um, yeah. what I really liked about the new uh, series that they've done is, um, is uh, what they've done with the Darth Vader series. Oh, that's so, excellent. So the, fir- uh, so the first series that they did was 25 issues and it told mm-hmm. the story of uh, Darth Vader waking up um, Sorry, no. The first one was the one they did um, with with him uh, between A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back, mm. and the second one they've done uh, yeah, is another series that's now finished as well, and it's what happens when he wakes up uh, right at the end of uh, Revenge of the Sith, you know. Okay. Um, so, uh, and again, it's another, I can't remember the site number, but it's another 20 something issues. So I, I like that because yeah. you know, there's a story arc and it finishes, uh, kind of thing. Um, yeah. you know, it's like, for example, I used to be r- really, really, uh, huge with Spawn, Todd mm. McFarlane's Spawn. Uh, but uh, I think uh, I can't remember the exact number. But when you when it was you know issue one hundred and something, it wasn't uh, yeah, just over a hundred. I I kind of stopped. I, I don't mm. think there's any series that I've gone um, for that long. You know, mm. so I I tend to prefer like some limited series, even if it's 20 or 12 or, you mm. know, whatever, but I prefer to uh, prefer that kind of thing or graphic novels as such. 
Yeah. I think but a yeah. lot of people are going that way now. I, I, I read like the first 50 of Spawn and I did read all of Walking Dead. I think it's what is 170 something, but I, I read all of that. But that was over a long period of time. So, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm sure you've been asked a million times, but, uh, but you know, um, why comics? What drew you to start writing comics? Because uh, it's not like you started um, young. It's like yeah. suddenly you, something, something changed. Or there, there was something there that made you think, no, nah, I'm going to write a comic. So well, what's the story there? Um, yeah, I, I actually, funny enough, I remember the exact moment, which is kind of rare for me, but, uh, so I, so I've written a novel and I've been writing it for like seven years, very slowly, sort of the draft's been finished for a couple of years. Haven't, I haven't sort of sent it out to peer reviewers or anything yet, but, um, so I've been writing when I started getting into comics sort of around 2012 and I was going to conventions and I was meeting a lot of artists and writers and chatting with them when, when they sign my comics and just getting to know a bit about the craft. And uh, and then, so I'd already kind of had the writing bug and I was doing the, the blog and, you know, I've got a lot of sort of stories in my head that I want to get out, but I, I, I'd never thought of writing comics. And I was chatting to uh, an American comic book artist uh, in Amsterdam who was doing a signing. I met him a couple of times already and we're, we're pretty good mates now, actually. He lives over in Europe, but, um, and he, uh, it's just Steve and, uh, yeah, we're just talking about the craft and he was explaining a bit and I sort of just asked a bit about how artists and writers collaborate and how the scripting process works. And I just thought to myself, oh, I might give this a go. I remember I was in Henk, it's, uh, a comic book shop in Amsterdam. Um, yeah. And I just thought, you know what? I love comics. I love stories. Uh, I love sci-fi. Uh, I think I'm an okay writer. I've, I sort of know a few artists and sort of writers already. I've built a bit of a network already in comics just through my love for it and I thought I'd give it a go. And, you know, I, like I kind of said before, I really get into things and I throw myself I throw myself into things. I'm a pretty sort of intense guy. And then I just started, um, yeah, I had, had a little idea in my head and then I sort of started working on a story and, yeah, I met an editor my editor, Erica Schultz, at New York Comic Con in 2016. So this all happened around middle of 2016. Yep. And then I met with her 2016 and started writing my story and it just went from there. And we finally published the first issue in 2018 and then at the whole, the entire thing last year. Yeah. So, yeah, that's how I got into it. So um, about the Resurrected, uh, so th did the idea come to you fully formed or or was it something like you just had a bit of an idea and then you had to work your way around it? How, how do you work as a writer? Because, you know, different writers do it differently. Some yeah. just have an idea and start to write it and see what happens and where the character takes them whereas others are very structured and think about yeah. the whole story or maybe they start from the ending and then work their way to that. Yeah. What, what, what's your method with that? Yeah. yeah, I mean, everyone has, like you said, everyone has their own method. Now, right now, like I'm writing an anthology now, I have a very structured method 
where, you know, I, I, I get the, the idea, like a small idea, and then I write, and then I write the plot and I work out the characterization, I work out the twist, I work everything out um, just in dot points before I even start writing anything. Whereas, um, so yeah, I'm a very structured writer, but with The Resurrected, I kind of had this one idea um, where it just started with people being resurrected. That's all, that's all I knew is that I wanted, I wanted resurrection uh, to be possible and I've sort of, uh, I'm quite, fascinated by um, sort of our mortality or more so scared, I, I'd say, frightened and fascinated, but, um, and the fragility of sort of our lives. So I thought, okay, I want to I write about resurrection. I want to write about the sort of pursuit of immortality. Uh, but I didn't really know where I was going, and I just sort of started writing ideas, and then I knew that I wanted to have an Aboriginal um, protagonist not for any particular reason not because I wanted to make a point of him being Aboriginal just you know I have a lot of Aboriginal friends in Sydney I grew up around sort of Newtown, Lee, Bredfern that you know there's a big big Aboriginal population I always thought I don't you know you don't see many Aboriginals in sort of comics so anyway I thought um so I started there and then I had another idea that I wanted it to be set in like a United Nations city-state so basically, basically the UN has moved to New York and they've set up their own sort of island and, and state. I think working with the UN where everyone's from everywhere and everyone's sort of different colour and different religion and different culture, it just sort of seemed right to me mm. to make a story like that. Um, and then I had the sort of themes in my head. I started sort of working out that I wanted to write a bit about colonisation in Australia and highlight some of the issues there and... But then one thing that I didn't do until a bit later was I didn't work out what the controlling idea was, which is that, so basically controlling idea for people who sort of don't write and stuff is, it's not the theme, like a theme can be love or death or a controlling idea is what is your story trying to say? Like what's the takeaway to your story? How, what do you want people, how do you want them to feel when they walk away from it? So for I sort of didn't know what that was until I'd sort of written half of it and I went back through my plot and I, real, and I realised that unconsciously that I'd been writing about how each character deals with death, like how do they deal with their own mortality or the deaths of other people and then how they dealt with death, that, that sort of helped to, um, to structure the kind of people that they would become or the kind, you know, whether they're healthy individuals, whether they're sort of obsessed with uh, finding a resurrection serum and that sort of, you know, is their downfall. Yeah, um, I really got a strong sense of that um, when I was reading it. And actually, so I, um, I, I write myself as well. Uh, for me, it has, yeah, it's the, the thing that I always say, it's, um, it's the thing that keeps me sane. So uh, I've always been a writer. Um, uh, I write a lot of poetry and I write a lot of short stories and they usually end up in the drawer. Um, sometimes I put them online, you know, uh, but uh, publishing is not really something that I've ever pursued, but um, it's what helps me and keeps me sane. And, mm. and uh, reading, especially the poetry, um, um, 
one thing that I write about a lot is actually about death and loss, okay. you know, and and how we deal with it and 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 what it means to the people that are left behind, you know. So for me, when I was reading the graphic novel, that really resonated as well, you know. Okay. And I, I get the sense uh, from from reading the Resurrected, I actually get the sense, and and now obviously talking to you as well, I get the sense that uh, you're a person who's really interested in politics and social justice and philosophy and things like that. Um, am I right? Or yeah, I I mean I majored in philosophy at university undergrad and then I studied a lot of sort of I did a I've done a couple of masters since and part of those degrees were sort of politics and I work at the UN and um yeah social justice is uh it's funny because it's become such a malign sort of term social justice warrior or SJW and it's pretty horrible to be honest that it can somehow have have a negative connotation, but um, yeah, yeah, social justice is very important to me, especially growing up where I grew up. I'm not sure if you've heard of Redfern in Sydney, but yes. I sort of, my mum lives a few minutes, five minutes away from Everly Street, and I sort of grew up in that area and saw sort of firsthand a lot of from what what my mates um had had been going through, and even now still sort of go through. So, yeah. The resurrected in the end, although I kind of said earlier, didn't start off as I didn't really plan to tackle social justice problems or social problems. Um, but in the end, it, that that became one of the strongest sort of issues about how we the colonisation of Australia or the invasion of Australia and and how how we treated the indigenous population and how we to a large extent are still treating. Indigenous population. So yeah, um, those issues are important to me. It's funny though because I'm writing a new anthology. Well, it's almost sort of done, and the art's halfway done. But I don't deal with almost any social issues, uh, social justice issues. I think the, the resurrected exhausted me. Um, so I think I needed a break from um, tackling those sort of issues. Uh, yeah. And I, I think I've sort of. Been, I mean, I I did a. Uh, I ran a seminar recently at the Amsterdam Comic Con on writing and someone uh, did ask me, you know, like how did uh, um, how did you feel about writing Aboriginal characters and, you know, did, did, you, did you feel that you had the right to write them? So, um, yeah, it's something that sort of always sort of hung over my head a little bit, that, that weight of writing a culture that isn't mine and sort of representing one of the oppressors, I guess. So, yeah, that that's caused a lot of, um, I wouldn't say stress maybe, but just, yeah, it's been sort of a heavy process. Well, I think it's, um, yeah, uh, it's, um, it's something that um, has been discussed a lot in the last few years, you know, and, and uh, I think it's... Um, I think it's a fair question um, yeah, and, and, um, and a discussion worth having. Uh, I think the way you approached it though, and with your background where you grew up and the way you approached it, uh, as I understand it, you did a lot of research. You did consult yeah. with, with uh, your Aboriginal friends as well and things like that. I think, you know, um, and, and also obviously, well, um, 
what you're saying as well in the story, you know, and are you playing with stereotypes or not? Or, you know, and, and I thought that um, reading the graphic novel, I thought, I mean, I'm, I'm not Aboriginal, obviously, you know, but uh, I thought that it was a very positive representation and, and I felt like um, it, was, it was genuine and it came from a genuine place, you know. Thank so, you. Yeah, that means a lot to me. Um, it, it, it's something that kind of, even after I sort of published it, I was, I've, I was always like, oh, is someone, is someone going to say, who the hell are you to sort of write this? And but it, it's funny that I haven't actually had any criticism. Um, I have had a lot of criticism from white people, actually. I've uh, had people when I've sort of promoted on Facebook and Twitter have said, oh, this is uh, anti-white propaganda, uh, oh, and you are, I think one guy was like, you are, are buying into white guilt. And if that works for you and sells comics, then that's fine. But, um, I mean, that that's not my, and this is not anti-white propaganda. This is, you know, it's focused solely on Australia. I'm not, I'm not against white people, obviously, although, you know, we have a lot to answer for. But that, that's not the point of it. But, um, yeah, so it was quite a stressful pro- process, but it, like you said, I did a huge amount of research, um, but not really about, not necessarily about how Aboriginal people are or their history, because it's something I was sort of a little bit aware of. Um, still not, I don't consider myself an expert or even close. I've a huge amount to learn, but more about the protocols of writing um, Aboriginal characters. And uh, there are a lot of Aboriginal writers, or I, I shouldn't say Aboriginal, Indigenous, because also... Torres Strait Islander, Islander writers uh, who sort of write about, they say, if you're not Aboriginal, if you're not Indigenous and you're going to write these characters, you're going to write these stories, these are the kind of protocols you should follow. For example, you know, I, I didn't talk about personal stories or any real historical sort of stories. I didn't um, also even things like dreaming stories. Um, this is one thing I didn't know that, you know, I was going to, have a depiction of uh, the rainbow serpent uh, in one of my scenes and I sort of did a bit of research and you have to actually have permission from from the group that that, that, that own this story and I had no idea about that and and, yeah. um, and even other sort of other depictions and uh, so that was a lot to learn and I made sure sort of they weren't they weren't stereotypical and I had Aboriginal friends sort of read, I had like four or five friends read through my stories, read through the script. And I even had one, one friend that I grew up with and he looked at some of the art and he was sort of at the start. I think I talked about this in another podcast where um, at the start, the sort of body paint in, in the first two pages wasn't quite indigenous yeah. looking, like Curie looking because that, they were curious and he sort of explained a bit better how to do that paint. So, then I spoke to the artist and he fixed it up and then he showed, and then I showed my friend and said, you know, that's perfect. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I had to, I had to make sure that I, uh, that I did it right. And I'm, I'm like, I'm still worried that maybe I didn't do it right, you know, but, but from the feedback I've had from my friends, I, I think I'm pretty, pretty safe. I know there are some people out there that say that, for example, non POC, People shouldn't write POC characters at all. 
I don't agree with that, but, you know, I'm not PSC, so I don't think my opinion is that that important to other people. But when I'm writing my own story, it's definitely important. And I think that just as long as you do it right, you do your research, you get you get um, sensitivity reviewers, uh, you don't assume that you know sort of everything and that you can write wherever you want. You can't. And I think one 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 Indigenous writer actually said, look, if you don't have... Indigenous friends to talk to about your characters that you're writing, and if you don't know anything about Indigenous characters, maybe you shouldn't be writing Indigenous characters. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think I was in a probably better position than a lot of um, non-Indigenous writers. Yeah. I was lucky. Yeah. In um, talking about these things, actually, um, um, did, did you uh, did you watch the ABC series uh, Redfern? Redfern now. Is it called oh, I love Redfern now. Yeah, that yeah. that's filmed next to my mum's house actually. Her street was in that uh was in that yeah. series. Yeah. yeah, it's a great series. That was a really beautiful series. I really really enjoyed it. Yeah. And and um did, did you watch um Cleverman? I did. I I watched uh I actually had an uh, Aboriginal friend from school uh he was one of the, the people that reviewed my script and he actually sent me that that series, because I'm living over here and I, I don't really keep up with Australian, I, I, like I don't have access, and I didn't know about it. So I'd kind of plotted a lot of my story already and then I, I watched Clever Man I'm like, ooh, this is like a very similar genre. It's, um, it's like Indigenous characters set in a future, in a dystopian future, and there's a lot about sort of... Um, a lot of things about colonisation and racism and I was kind of like, ooh, it's very similar, but... I thought to myself, you know what, there's a, there's a million similar stories about white people. I mean, why is there only allowed what, one Indigenous sort of story about dystopian, like, you know, racism and colonisation? So I kind of, yeah, but it's um, it's a wonderful series. It's really good. And, uh, yeah, I actually reached out to, um, what's it called, Blackfella Films, I think, uh, who produced that and Redfern now. And I actually sent them an email and asked if they knew anyone that could um, sort of help me with finding some more reviewers of my story and trying to find sort of Aboriginal artists and stuff. But uh, they wrote back, they were really nice, but they said, look, we, we're sort of overwhelmed with sort of our current work and we, we can't really help. But they gave me some links where I can, um, where I, can I think it was like the Aboriginal Department of Oh, it was Aboriginal Affairs, but it was another department and so they gave me some handy links and they're really nice actually. But um Yeah, I actually uh, tried uh, like, sorry. I was pretty uh, I was pretty sad when they um they didn't continue the series, you know. Because I, I I really enjoyed what they uh, the oh, episodes so it's not, the not coming out? No, probably oh, not. Okay. I've been Googling it but I I didn't see a definitive sort of answer. Oh, that's a shame. Apparently not. Sorry to break it to you. <laughs> yeah, uh, but but yeah, apparently they're they're not going to continue the series, which is really unfortunate. Um, it is. I thought they really did a great job. I, I it was so it was so well done, and yeah, it was, I mean the story. Like I admire the writer of that. I wish I could write that well. Mm. Yeah, but um, oh, that's a shame because I know they did a comic. I I read the comic. Yeah, uh, they did like a first issue. Um, yes, and, and, um, 
the, it, it looks like uh, they will um, finish publishing that storyline. Uh, when oh, that's going to happen, I'm not sure. Um, um, uh, but uh, I think one of the creators, um, uh, uh, I can't remember exactly, uh, but one of the creators, either he was really, really sick or, or had oh, an accident or something. That, there's been some health issue. Uh, but um, it looks like they um, they're looking into finishing that storyline at least. So oh, excellent. Hopefully, hopefully that will happen because uh, again, yeah. I did buy the first issue as well. <laughs> yeah, me too on Comicsology. I read it. And, yeah. Uh, oh, it's a shame. Yeah. But, um, so um, just, coming back to you and your comics. Uh, so you said uh, you're working on an anthology. I am, and I haven't. Uh, talked about it publicly at all yet, but uh, it's an exclusive. It's exclusive, um, <laughs> and it is. I've only been writing it since sort of December. It's only been a few months, but it's basically almost all written, like ninety-five percent. Um, it, it's a short. There's so far. There's about six stories, but I'm probably aiming at about eight. Uh, they range from like three pages to twenty pages, and they're all kind of very dark twisted stories that sort of explore explore our minds a little bit um, and a few stories are already uh, the art's already finished and sort of all the lettering and they're sort of done but I'm I was planning in a couple of months to probably start pushing it and maybe I mean it'll be completely funded already and all finished but Kickstarter is such a great platform for actually selling comics Not it's not really about sort of uh, necessarily funding. It's just like it's, it's a, for indie people, like it's yeah. difficult to get on Diamond and you lose a lot of money and it's, it's hard to get into shops and even for me to send stuff sort of all around to shops if you're not on Diamond, it's very expensive. So um, Kickstarter is a great, uh, a great platform. But, uh, yeah, I was going to say, but now with Corona, I'm like I don't really want to be promoting and pushing sort of my story and publishing even because – Shops are closing down, you know, like temporarily yeah. even. And so I'm kind of going to push it off a bit, but it's, uh, it's still happening. It's really exciting. Um, uh, yeah, I like, I'm writing, I've written one story with my wife, which has been probably my favorite ever sort of experience. Um, yeah, it's a short story about anxiety. Uh, and, and yeah, it's, some of the artists we have involved so far are Matthew Dow Smith, uh, Ariella Cristantino is going to write it, is going to draw a story. Um, uh, J. Paul Sheik, I can't pronounce his name, is writing uh, is drawing story. Renee Rientes, who's a Dutch artist, who I'm good friends with, she's drawing story. Who else? Uh, Marn House um, as well, and we've got amazing. Colorous. I'm working with this as well. Uh, Erica Schultz is is editing everything, and Cardinal Ray would do all all the lettering. So I don't know how many pages will be. Maybe 50, 60 pages. And we're going to get Tula Lotte. We'll do the cover again. She she did the resurrected uh, trade cover, yep. and she's hands down probably my favorite artist. So. To work with her, it's just amazing. I mean, like, I'm not just a comic book writer. I'm a collector and, and, 
and a fan. So for me, it's all of this is amazing to sort of collaborate with these people. I can't believe it, you know. Yeah, so yeah, it's going, it's going well, and hopefully I can. Um, hopefully it's not too long that I can actually start sort of releasing the stories. Yeah, so um, um, I was going to talk about that as well. So um, obviously you um, you got the resurrected out through Kickstarter, and so it sounds like you're going to be doing the same with this anthology. Uh, what did you learn from the first Kickstarter uh, that you know that you can apply to this one, and you know maybe you can recommend to others as well? Because I, I, I'm increasingly seeing more and more comics, independent comics, um, going through mm. Kickstarter. Yeah, Kickstarter is, is, like I said before, about five times. It's amazing. Um, so I don't see it as a, really as a funding thing because, for example, The Resurrected was, was done. Like I actually kickstarted the first issue, but it was complete when I kickstarted and then I kickstarted the the entire trade paperback, but all the, all of the art was finished. So I'm sort of of the mind that you should have a completed product before you kickstart it. So you just say you're kickstarting the print run or whatever. And because firstly, I don't want people to wait six months for their sort of comic book to arrive. And I want to make sure that uh, I sort of built their trust. That, like, you know, I've already got this comic. It's happening. Don't worry. You know, you're not going to lose your money. And, you know, I've, I've kickstarted projects where two years later I'm still waiting. And I'm, I'm not so bothered by it, to be honest, but I just don't think it looks very good to sort of um, to not deal to not deal with your promises very quickly. But uh, so what, what I learned actually doing probably from the first to the second was the first one, it's basically your friends and family that will be the majority of your backers or at least the majority of the funds that come in. And I'm incredibly generous and I didn't have a lot of, not, I wouldn't say not a lot, but I didn't. Have, the majority weren't sort of these fans who were like, "Oh, the resurrected! This sounds amazing!" Oh, Christian Carnouche, I love his writing. I mean, it was it was my first comic, so people didn't know me. So it was really my friends and family that gave me that sort of boost and that initial sort of foundation to build on. And then with the second Kickstarter I did a year later, um, I was really lucky. I made like probably five thousand on each on each Kickstarter, but that I mean that's still a very small portion of what it costs. Um, yeah. to do a five-issue series and to print it. And so I printed with Print Ninja, which is a really good printer in China. Um, anyway, and so what I did learn was that my friends and family, they weren't always going to go with a second issue. Like a lot did, but it was a huge drop. Uh, but what, what what I did gain was I, I gained a lot of um, repeat backers and, and a lot of new fans, which was really... I don't like saying fans, but like a lot of new readers, which which sort of made me feel really good that the more that I write, I'm going to sort of expand my readership and gave me a bit of sort of um, belief in myself uh, and in the artists I was working with. And um, so that was great. So, so I kind of, for anyone doing a first Kickstarter, what I would recommend is to push it to your friends and family, you know, like I bet all you guys sort of support your friends and family. So don't feel bad if you're sort of asking for a bit of support to, to get a leg up. Um, you know, it might happen for every Kickstarter you do, but the first one, really push it. I, uh, what I didn't do with the first one that I should have done was uh, an email list where you build an email list and 
then you can sort of update people and the links. A lot of people aren't on Facebook, they aren't on Twitter and they might not see your updates, might not come up in their feed, but with their email, with an email, they'll definitely get it. So I actually had a lot of success with a second Kickstarter with my email list. Um, the majority of my funds probably came from that. And I had like producer tiers where you could, uh, it was a few hundred euros and you could be named as a producer and you got a sketch or you, or you, or you were drawn as a character yeah. into the, into the comic. So I had a lot of success uh, with my email list with that tier. Yeah. Uh, what else? Um, oh, definitely uh, one issue that I had was maybe not with Kickstarter, but just with doing your own comic was I printed with uh, Print Ninja and they're awesome and they're, they're a bit more expensive than other printers, but they are at the same quality as sort of DC and Marvel. But what I didn't realize when I did my trade paperback, I mean, it's, it, firstly, it's incredibly heavy. So shipping everything into the EU from China was crazy expensive. And then what I didn't think of, because I'm not the smartest guy in the world, was uh, customs charges. I mean, I paid 1,500 euros in custom charges alone. Oh, and when, wow. you're doing an indie, when you're doing an indie uh, project, yeah. that's just, you know, um, almost defeated the project, uh, the purpose. But I, I think in Australia, you probably don't have the same issues. But but, but in the EU, it's, yeah. yeah, I'm not doing that again. So, and I also, I paid a fulfillment center in China. This was, this was good in one side, but what was good, it was not good on the other side. Was, so basically, all of the comics shipped from the printer in China to this fulfillment center, and then they shipped everything off, off for me all around the world. So I didn't have to do it myself. And also, the shipping fees were um, were a lot cheaper, so I could charge cheaper shipping. Because, for example, if I ship something from here to Australia, you pay 20 euros for the trade, but then it's going to cost you, you know, over 10 euros to ship it. So I didn't want people to have to sort of pay through the nose for that. So it was a lot cheaper using the fulfillment centre, but they also took a lot longer. And I had to ship some stuff to them. They had to get other comics shipped to them. There was a lot to deal with. Yeah. And so next time I do a Kickstarter, I'm just going to do it on myself. Shipping will be a bit more expensive. Um, but I think if you just do it yourself, or just it, it's a lot more work. But, um, yeah, and plus I trust myself. Like with the first, the first issue, they sort of hadn't packed some of the comics properly and some of them got damaged in a post and I had to replace them. And yeah. But if I do it all myself, I, you know, you can, mm. I guess I can trust myself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah the, I, I, I suppose the main thing with Kickstarter, I think a lot of, it's hard, especially for people like me, I, I don't like to sort of ask for things and I don't like to talk myself up and, but you've just got to push, you've got to push, push it. You know, you've got to promote yourself. You've got to talk to all your friends and family. You've got to be on Facebook. You've got to be on Twitter or Instagram. I mean, it's really difficult especially if you're trying to minimalize your digital footprint, but it's, uh, yeah, you've got to, you've got to put yourself out there and you might fail, but you can pick yourself up and you do it again. And, you know, Mm. and I'm sure you succeed at some point. Yeah. uh, So uh, have you, have you, um, have you tried, I'm putting you on the spot here completely, (laughs) but have you, have you tried or thought of approaching some, um, publisher i i have i 
I actually had a, this is one thing that a lot of people assume that when you self-publish that, that you didn't get any offers. Um, I, I did actually get an offer to publish. Uh, I won't say who they were. Um, they weren't a huge company, but, but they were big enough and they were going to print everything, um, distribute everything, uh, but they wanted half of my rights, yeah. and which is common with, with, with a lot of publishers. Um, and they were going to pitch. They were going to pitch the concept to to film studios as well. So I think this is a, a lot of what um, some publishers they sort of pick up comics and they think that maybe it will become a movie and that's where they can make some money, which is fair enough. You know, it's it's a business. Yeah. But uh, I just sort of thought to myself in the end, like, what can they really do that I can't do myself? I mean, I can print it myself. I can promote it. I can I can distribute it. Um, but I, uh, I wouldn't say I regret it, but there's something inside me that says, ah, oh, would have been nice to just have a publisher print all the trades and get them into shops. Because this is one, I think we've talked about this before, this is one thing that I haven't done enough is because it's so expensive to, to ship to shops and they don't pay the shipping, um, that it's almost, it defeats the purpose to, to sort of send the copy to to a shop, you know, if I send, I mean, I have sent some copies like to shops, but it's been more about wanting to get people to read the issue than it is to make, uh, sorry, to read the comic than it is to make money. So I kind of lose money when I ship to shops, but every time I go away and I, like I travel a lot, I always go into a comic store and I sort of say, Hey, um, you know, I wrote this comic. Would you like to stock it? And actually I've had a lot of success with that. So that's sort of, um, been pretty cool but uh yeah yeah so yeah, but but I did I did pitch to image and uh because the the artists in my project they've all they've all sort of worked for um mainstream companies so I'm the only one that was unknown yeah so I sort of thought we'd have some good success but it is it 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 I mean as we would sort of talk about earlier it tackles some pretty pretty heavy issues and that might have yeah. turned some some publishers off, you know, it's, it's very, uh, sort of anti-colonialism and it's, it's, you know, a lot of people, they, when they tackle these issues of racism and colonization, they're very sort of subtle with it. But I've sort of said before that I used a sledgehammer. I was like, boom, boom, boom. These are the problems. And, you know, we should be ashamed of ourselves. And, uh, cause I was just shocked that, I know I'm off on another tangent now, ADHD. Yes, that's fine. (laughs) Working at the UN and so many people had no idea what was going on in Australia. Everyone's like, oh, it's a paradise. This is fine. I'm like, yeah, it's a paradise for people that sort of look like me, but it's not a paradise for everybody. And, um, and, yes, I really wanted to ram that issue home. And a lot of people that reviewed it, I was lucky actually to have this reviewed like probably about 50, uh, 50 times by sort of websites and blogs and stuff. And quite a few people were like, they had no idea what the situation was like in Australia. Yeah. So, yeah, to go back to that point, yeah, I, I um, maybe it was a bit heavy for some companies, but I, I thought a company like Black Mask might might have liked it, but, yeah, they, they didn't get back to me. Um, yeah. But that was, a, that was a few years ago now. That was three years ago, and I only had one issue done and, you know, yeah. I'm probably, I now I've done a lot of conventions and it's, you know, I have a pretty good 
good sort of readership now. This sold pretty well, actually, for a first comic, and now I'm doing a second one. So I've got a lot more hope for the second one, maybe, pitching it. Although it's an anthology, so I don't know how easy it is to uh, get anthologies published by companies. Yeah. But, yeah. So yeah. I did try, and I did get an offer, and, Yeah. Yeah, well, it's um, it's a big dilemma for artists, uh, you know. Um, how do I do this? Do I do it myself, you know? Um, uh, as a teenager, I used to listen to a lot of punk music and, you know, the bands that I respected a lot were the bands that kind of, they did it themselves, you know. Uh, yeah. And, and um, uh, you know, or do you go with a with a big company that, you know, will take care of all the distribution and all that. But, you know, that, that, yes, mm. they do take a huge, massive cut um, mm. of it. And, uh, and sometimes they, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's a big dilemma, definitely, for artists. Yeah. Yes. So, um, uh, well, so I guess uh, we'll look forward to your anthology. Does it have a title yet or not? No, it doesn't no. have a title, but um, I'll probably I'll probably start promoting it in about a, about a month and maybe releasing some pages and yeah, hopefully I can think of something something then. So where should we check your Twitter or your blog or? Um, God, I don't even know what my Twitter Twitter name is, but <laughs> but if you search um, if you search <laughs> under my name, Christian Kanush, uh on Twitter there and then the website, which I haven't updated for a while, is carnishproductions.com. Facebook page is Carnish Productions. Uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, it's like either my name or the company. But I'm mainly, I update sort of all those platforms mainly, but um, Twitter's recently what I spend most of my time on. Yep. That's why I'm losing my mind. Yes, and, um, me too. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so um, Twitter, I think. Yeah, yeah. excellent. Uh, but w- I'll probably put um, your social media and your website in the notes for this video okay. as well. So, um, and, and I was going to say, yeah. just a bit of a surprise, that what I'm going to do is a, bit, a little giveaway. Uh, I don't know if you can really see them, but so yeah. I'm going to, I'll sort of announce it. One, once you post this video, on it, it'll be like, Trade paperback, uh, Arrow Christentina's cover a variant, the first issue, and then some prints and some stickers. But I'll um, I'll give that away uh, to one of the listeners. But I'll sort of announce that once you um, once you publish the video. Oh, that's awesome! So, that's no worries. And I'll post it anywhere. Like if you're in Australia, I posted something recently to Alaska, another competition I ran. So it doesn't Alaska. matter where you are. Alaska, yeah. So, wow. That was the first. All right. So uh, thank you, Christian. It's been an absolute pleasure to uh, – first time that we talk face-to-face. And, yeah. Uh, an absolute pleasure. So, yeah, keep up the good work. And same to you guys. I mean, thanks personally for your support, but also for Alia and you guys kicking goals and doing great things. So, yeah. And I'm looking forward to reading some, uh, to watching some of the other, other chats you have with other people. So, yeah, uh, well, we have a few uh, uh, creators lined up 
and a um, couple of librarians and an educator as well. So, yeah, hopefully we have awesome. some interesting content coming up. Awesome. Thanks yeah. so much. Take care. See ya. Bye.